Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. We've had a lot going on this summer. It just seems like it keeps getting more and more interesting. And by our most recent count, it's looking like there could be up to 20% of the acres in Ohio that are going to be unplanted this season. So one of the things that's a primary concern is finding ways to protect those fields from soil erosion and that fallow syndrome that we talked about in the last episode. And cover crops are the obvious option to achieve these goals. In Ohio, we do have experience with cover crops. We've been using them to secure the soil and retain nutrients over the winter for quite a while now. The scenario this season is a little bit different. So we have a lot of decisions that we need to make, like which cover crop to plant and when to plant them is really something that's more tricky because we're on a timeline that's a little more early than usual. And then those unplanted fields aren't the only issue that we're dealing with. Um, Over the winter and spring conditions, there were some forages that did not fare very well. And then that in combination with the limited harvest windows that we've seen so far this summer, we have a shortage of good quality forages across Ohio. So what we saw was with the rule being changed where we can graze or hay cover crops earlier this year, that date is now September 1st instead of November 1st. Many of you may be looking into cover crops that you could use that will serve a dual purpose. So not only cover those fallow fields for the summer, but also something that you can use as a forage this fall. So today we have Rory Lewandowski. He is the Ohio State Extension Educator in Wayne County, and he's going to join us and share some information about cover crops and forages to help you narrow down your choices. Welcome, Rory. Well, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So we've got a lot of things that we need to consider when we're selecting a cover crop, and you have a great list of questions that farmers should be thinking about. Could you go through those to help frame what the thought process should look like? Sure. And again, I think uh, it it is important to uh, ask some questions um, so that you arrive at the right answers and and make the right decision. And there are a lot of different cover crops certainly out there and are available. So one of the the key questions, though, is seed available, uh, because we know that uh, we've heard reports here in Ohio from many different seed dealers uh, that not all these cover crop seeds are available. Uh, in particular, some of the warm season annuals and the sorghum species, sorghum sandgrass, uh, may not be available. So even though that may be a good option, if the seed isn't available, you need to move on to you know Plan B or in some cases maybe Plan C. Uh, the other thing to be aware of is you know what kind of cost do you want to put in per acre? When we look at cover crops. Uh, again, these there are various mixes out there. Uh, seed prices can can get uh, fairly high. So, what's your limit? Where are you looking at as far as cost per acre? We are talking about this uh, today in the context of putting these cover crops in as potentially using them as forages after that September first date. So then your question really needs to become: uh, Do you need and want both a fall and a spring harvest? Uh, that's going to depend. That mix will be a little bit different if you just need a fall harvest as opposed to using some of these cover crops and, and then getting something here in the fall and again in the spring. A uh, little bit different mixtures that we would look at. A big question that really needs to be given some quite a bit of thought, I think, is 
uh, what's your herbicide program then? So you possibly may be restricted uh, by earlier herbicide applications that uh, would have plant back restrictions or species restrictions. So you really need to think about uh, what type of herbicide program you've used and how that might impact your choice of cover crops. Uh, finally, I think uh, you need to take a look at uh, what kind of management might be required for these cover crops. Are you going to manage them for the best quality or are you going to manage them for the most tonnage? And really that probably comes down to a cutting date uh, and stage of maturity. And so uh, how soon after that September 1st date might you cut them or let them continue to grow? So another uh, kind of along with that that deals with management, another important question is most of these forages to really uh, do a good job of, of harvesting them and putting them in a usable form, you're going to have to harvest them as a wet forage and not as a dry hay. You know, you think about our weather conditions as we get into uh, September, uh, particularly if you're looking at mid or later September, and drying days are going to be hard to come by. So most of these will have to be harvested as a wet forage, a wet wrap like a bale-age or possibly chopped and ensiled. So are you set up to harvest that type of, of forage? Uh, you know, do you, or do you have a custom harvester that might be able to come in? And then a final question, uh, you know, if, if you're set up for this, uh, could grazing be a possibility? And I bring that up just because we know that uh, the cost of a stored feed as opposed to uh, grazing that same feed stuff, it's about three times more expensive when we start adding in our machinery cost and, and mechanical harvest. So if you can, if you have the possibility to graze and use some of the technology there with portable fencing and solar chargers and, and portable water tubs, uh, that might be another option and would also open up some other potential species for you. So I think those are some key questions to take a look at to help you make a decision on what cover crop uh, as a potential forage might be right for you. Yeah, that's some great information and I think gives us a lot to think about. And you mentioned opening up different opportunities for species type. So when we look at those options, what are a few that you would suggest starting with? Sure. Um, you know, we hear a lot about the, the warm season annuals, but uh, here we are, you know, recording this on, on the 15th of July. And I think we're really uh, getting to be late for some of these uh, sorghum sedan graphs, especially when we consider seed costs. But one option that is out there uh, and that is an exception this year made by the RMA is that uh, we can actually have late planted corn uh, on those prevented plant acres and that could be used as a both as a cover crop it's allowed as a cover crop now and then could be harvested as a grass silage so that certainly would be one option um, the advantage of of course using corn is that uh, many of us are pretty familiar with corn uh, we feel comfortable with corn we have the equipment to plant corn uh, and it may be the best fit in some of our fields uh, because of earlier herbicide applications. So uh, that certainly is a, a plus. Uh, another plus is uh, it is a warm season grass and uh, you know we probably still have some hot days ahead of us and so it does have some fairly high yield potential. Uh, work done in Wisconsin uh, where they did plant some corn by July 15th, uh, they had forage yields that ranged from three and a half uh, to over five and a half tons of dry matter per acre. So some pretty considerable amount of forages. The real caution here uh, with using corn as a cover crop and, and then as a uh, harvested as a forage is that it's not going to be a conventional corn silage. Uh, corn planted this late, we're going to get little.
to no grain production. So uh, you really need to think about this as a grass silage. It's going to have a much lower energy content than our traditional corn silage, uh, may ferment a little bit differently. Our fiber contents are going to be around 60%. And then the other challenge is really going to be getting it harvested. When we look at utilizing this, and it would be as an ensiled product, successful moisture content uh, is really a, a key here. By, and by successful moisture, I mean we have to harvest at the right moisture content somewhere in that 60 to 68% moisture. That is absolutely key outside of that range and we really run the risk of just putting up junk and, and losing the crop. Um, so the kicker is that before a frost, it's, it's really possible that corn plant this time of the year until it gets a frost uh, could very easily be at 80% moisture, way too high. Uh, so you're gonna have to think about how to get that harvested. Now, if you wait for a frost, It'll dry down pretty quickly after that. You maybe have a three to five day window to get things harvested. Think about all the other corn silage that's going to be harvested that time of the year. Uh, you know, custom operators are going to be busy. So do you have the capacity or the arrangements that you can get it harvested? Or maybe, you know, consider uh, harvesting it, uh, cutting it and, and letting it wilt down. And, and do you have the capacity to handle it that way? So those are some things I guess we could also talk about, you know, just corn as a cover crop and, and what your insurance agent or adjuster might think. So again, when we're looking at, at throwing this into the mix, I think that's a critical conversation. Uh, who's ever gonna be signing your check for those preventive plant acres, you gotta make sure that uh, they're happy with what you're doing. And so different insurance agents and adjusters are interpreting this use of corn, late planted corn as a cover crop and then as a potential silage a little bit differently. So. Again, check in with them, see what their requirements might be so that you uh, are doing this conforming to what they need to see. Yeah, that's a great point to make sure that your insurance agent is on board with, with using corn as a cover crop. Two other things that are probably worth mentioning and, and talking about briefly are making sure that your seed provider um, is all right with you using, if this is a GMO-traded uh, corn using that as a non-conventional crop. Um, we do, there is some differences we've seen in how using corn as a cover crop is viewed if it is GMO. And so the other thing to keep in mind is whether or not that seed is treated. Rory, do you have any comments on what seed treatments or what seeding rates are appropriate? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things. Uh, we had an earlier article in the corn newsletter that suggested that uh, corn as a cover crop, if you're going to really try to use it that way, it should look a little bit more like a cover crop. So bump up your plant populations to over 35,000, ideally maybe in that 40 to 45,000. Uh, again, narrow rows might be a suggestion. So we get canopy closure. Again, we're trying to protect that soil, get roots in the soil, you know, build up soil quality. So if we're thinking about it as a cover crop, that might be something to be used. And then uh, on your, your, your point, I guess, regarding seed treatments, uh, we know that some of the seed treatments, some of the insecticides and fungicides used on those seeds, they have a, a legal limit on how many pounds of that particular material might be able to be applied per acre per year. And so if we know you know, how much was put on each seed, we can come up with a cumulative seeding rate uh, per acre per year. And, and some of these seed treatments, again, the, especially if you're going in back into a replant situation, you had corn in that field, it failed, now you want to put in corn as a cover crop and potential forage, uh, you need to check that cumulative seeding rate. That may 
be your limit on, on you know, how many seeds you can actually drop. Uh, so you do need to check with that. So again, uh, be in contact with your, your seed reps and seed dealers and make sure that uh, you are, what you're doing conforms to what is allowed. Those are great points from both of you. I've heard mention of oats being a really good option. Any thoughts there? Amanda, that's a, a great point because uh, oats, we have a lot of experience with oats here in Ohio, more than 15 years. Uh, in fact, a lot of this early work with oats as a forage crop was done in, uh, down in Fairfield County. Uh, and if you go on to the beef team website, uh, and, or if you just type in uh, you know, oats as a forage in Ohio beef team, uh, you're gonna come up with that site and you can get access to any number of articles there. But uh, we know that uh, oats um, planted later in the year. And so at this point, planting time really becomes a consideration. We don't wanna plant too early. Oats planted, particularly in that early August time period, uh, really does not act as a grain crop anymore. Uh, it's very sensitive to, to day length, and as those day lengths are decreasing, uh, it's going to stay vegetative. It's going to have a, uh, the leaf is going to be wider than it would as a grain crop, and it's uh, going to stay in that, that vegetative stage. So it makes it really a, a good forage at that point. Um, it's also, we know that oats, uh, maybe again, if we go back to that earlier question, how much do you want to spend per acre? It may be our most economical option. So oats, um, I know Stan Smith down in Fairfield County has been uh, in conversations with seed suppliers and uh, these oats, mainly we're gonna look at using feed oats uh, as the seed source here. A lot of that comes in from Canada uh, in Stan Smith's conversations with folks. Uh, there's no shortage of seed. Uh, we would expect uh, that seed cost to be somewhere in that 15 to $22 per hundred weight range. If you plant 60 to 90 pounds an acre, you can see, again, it's a fairly economical option. And plant it early August, depending when you take that harvest in. Uh, you could harvest as early as 60 days after planting. You could go out uh, 90 to 120 days. Your tonnage is going to vary anywhere from probably three up to as possibly as high as five tons of dry matter per acre. So really a, a good option there. And, and if you add some nitrogen in, you can help to boost the crude protein content of that oats as well. So I think oats really is something we need to look closely at. Again, we have a lot of experience. There's a good article written by Al Geiler, Geyer uh, from Sandusky County and the Stan Smith in that corn newsletter. Um, and then on the Beef Team website, that article is posted as well. Gives you a lot of information and background on how to use oats as a forage crop and what some other considerations might be. But I think we really, if, you, if you're looking to use a cover crop and, and as a forage, this is a good way to get started. So really give some hard consideration to oats. So how do you feel about annual ryegrass? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Elizabeth, uh, be, because for many, uh, you know, if you bring up annual ryegrass, it's going to raise some flags. Uh, some people are going to just <laughs> flat out turn and walk away from it. Um, but I think annual ryegrass needs to be considered uh, in our conversation here. Uh, it does a nice job, certainly as a cover crop. We're going to get, uh, you know, cover the soil. We're going to get that leafy growth. We're going to get uh, tremendous root growth in the soil. So it's going to help from that standpoint. Um, and then we're going to use it a little bit different. We're, we want to use it again as for the forage option. And I think that's what maybe makes it a little more attractive here than as a straight cover crop where we're typically we'd be looking at uh, really early termination in the spring of the year because that's where we can run into some problems terminating 
uh, ryegrass as a cover crop. What I'm suggesting here is that uh, we can use this, putting ryegrass in, and it fits back into that one of those earlier questions. If you need a forage that will give you, or a crop that will give you forage both in the fall and the spring, ryegrass will do that. Um, some of the benefits, it, it has pretty rapid emergence, pretty similar to oats in that regard. So plant it early to mid-August. Uh, we really think that you can expect anywhere from a ton to maybe a ton and a half of dry matter per acre harvested somewhere in that 60 to 80 days after planting. And then the benefit is you could get another three tons or, or possibly more the following spring uh, through early summer. Uh, and you could have a harvest uh, cutting schedule every know 25 to, to 30 days so that that gives you some benefit there now some keys to making this work uh, if that spring harvest is really important to you you want to make sure you choose varieties with good winter survivability and uh, Mark Schultz our uh, extension forage specialist has done some good work on this if you go to the performance trials and, and look at the annual ryegrass variety trials uh, you're gonna see that we've got varieties that have winter injury ranging from as low as maybe 5% all the way up to more than 60%. So you have to choose the right variety. The other reason I like annual ryegrass in this scenario, again, if you need both the fall and spring, is that we're gonna take one or two or you know maybe even more harvest in, in the spring of the year. So if you're thinking about putting in uh, corn silage, so planting corn a little bit later, or maybe soybeans planting a little bit later, um, that allows you to take those harvests, and then at that point, uh, we're into warmer weather. Our herbicides are working better. So we're gonna get typically a better kill on, on taking that annual ryegrass out as those temperatures warm up. So I think it works in, in that type of, of planting situation. Uh, solves our need for a, a cover crop, solves our need for, for a good forage source, and then gets around that maybe concern that we have with terminating that cereal uh, that annual ryegrass. I should mention also that most of these annual ryegrasses, if let go, are going to play out just naturally by themselves, uh, probably by early July anyway. Uh, but again, I do think that it's something that that's going to work for some people. So one tool that I think is pretty neat is the Midwest Cover Crop Council Cover Crop Selector tool. You can put in your county and it'll give you a calendar of when you can plant some of these cover crops their survival rate. So if people aren't familiar with that, I'd like to direct them there so they can see the options they have, especially if you do have crops in the ground and you're looking to get into cover crops after harvest and the options start to slim down somewhat. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That is a, a good tool that people can utilize. And as you mentioned, if you're looking at, um, you've got, you know, got a good stand of crops and now you're just looking at a cover crop. Um, that'll give you some options, but certainly um, as we get later in the year, we start looking at some of those cereal rise, or maybe even, uh, you know, we still could put some combinations. Uh, winter cereal rye works very good, and maybe in a combination with, uh, with even some 4-H peas or maybe a crimson clover, depending on, on your planting date. But yeah, that's a great tool to take advantage of. So this has been a pretty quick look at a few of the options. Um, if you're interested in learning more, Rory has recorded a webinar that goes through a lot more options for using cover crops as forages with a lot more detail. So if you're selecting a cover crop and you want to be able to maximize forage yield and quality or maybe find the right balance of the two, I highly recommend you check out that webinar. Um, you can find it at go.osu.edu slash agcrisis under the webinar tab. 
And while you're there, you can also check out the FAQ webpage. It's been updated with more information, and some of that information goes into selecting and managing these cover crops. And that's at that same link. So thank you so much, Roy, for joining us today. I think this was very informative and very helpful. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.